everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Michael Turpak. Early last year, he became the third person released from prison under SB 1437. He had served time in prison since 1996, following his conviction of first-degree murder. Prosecutors said he was the getaway driver, but attorneys from the Loyola Project for the Innocent said evidence presented at his trial showed that Turpak, then 18 years old, was using a payphone down the street at the time of the crime committed by two younger teens. Nevertheless, he was convicted under felony murder rule, but that conviction was vacated under SB 1437, which grants resentencing for individuals who were not the actual killer and not found to have acted with reckless indifference. Welcome to the show, Michael. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So can you kind of tell us the story of how it was that you ended up getting caught up in all of this and ended up in prison? Yeah, sure. Basically, uh, uh, I had a friend, and he had two friends that he met. Me and him met them a week prior. And uh, so my friend tells me, hey, let's go out and party with some girls. And I'm 18, and I'm like, oh, sure. And they're like, well, can you bring some other guys over? Because there was like five girls there. So he goes, hey, why don't we swing by those guys' house and pick them up and see if they want to go party with the girls. So I was like, fine. So we go through there, and they just happen to be in front. So we're like, hey, you want to go party with some girls? And they're like, yeah, sure. But I didn't know that one of them was smoking, had been smoking PCP, and he was kind of like acting wacky. wacky. And uh, so we get there, and the, the females are like, hey, you can't, you can't let him in the house. He's acting crazy. So just take him home, and you guys can come back. So I said, fine. So he gets in the car, they get in the car, and uh, as we're taking him home, I'm getting pages from the girls, and like I've had other pages that I didn't answer that night. And the guy keeps kicking the back. He's like, I gotta take a piss. Come on, man, pull over. So I'm like, fine, you know, I might as well answer these pages while they're taking a, a piss or whatever, right? So I pull over, I let him out, and I go to the payphone. And as I'm talking to one of these girls, not the one at the party, there was another female that I had answered her page from earlier that night. And I was talking to her. 
So my friend starts yelling for me to run, come over it, like something was happening. So as I'm running over there, I hear shots, gunshots. I was like, whoa. So I see my car taking off. And then I ran. It was a stick shift. So there, one of the, there were two brothers that we, we had just met. And one of them was trying to take my car. So I run and I jump over to the car and I go, hey, man, what are you doing? So he starts jumping. I push him over. And so he starts jumping towards like the back seat. I'm like, what's going on, man? And he was like in shock. He didn't say anything. So as I'm pulling off, my friend runs the other way. So as I'm pulling off, his brother comes running down the street, jumps in my car. I'm like, what's going on? At first I thought like we were getting shot at. So he pulls the gun in my face and he's like, hey man, you better drive off or I'm gonna kill everybody in the car. And uh, so I, I was like scared, I was nervous. So I just took them and they lived like maybe four blocks from there. Dropped them off, never seen them again. Like four months later, I'm going to school. I'm, I'm living day to day and every day. And then I get pulled over. I'm with a friend and uh, I get pulled over and I come, they're trying to pull me over. And as I, they arrest me, they take me to the station and they say, um, you're arrested for murder. I said, murder? What are you talking about? So they started, they just like throwing pictures in my face. You know, this person, this person, I go, Listen, you need to explain to me what's going on, because yeah, or else I would like a lawyer. At that point, the detective he got pissed. He said, "All right." He started throwing stuff like, "Oh, like Pancho Villa didn't need a lawyer," and it started just like um, antagonizing, just just on me. So he pulls me out of the room, and he goes, "Hey, man, I know you didn't have nothing to do with this, but because you don't want to help us, you're gonna go down for murder." So I was like. Uh, yeah, right. I didn't, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't have nothing to do with it. I didn't, I didn't, um, believe it. Sure enough, a couple months later, I guess the detective and my DA goes down to the juvenile hall and tells the brother, Hey man, uh, we're going to give you a deal. You change your story. He makes a whole new statement, which all of a sudden involves me and says that I knew what was going on. And at the time that he did it, so he gets to go to youth authority till he's 25. That's the deal. They told him, or else you're going to get life without, adult life without. So he takes the deal, gets on the stand, tells him that, uh, yeah, he, he put the gun in my face. He made me drive off. But he's saying that he that I knew about it. So knowledge is as guilty under the old law as the killer. So he lied on the stand got the deal and I got ended up getting life without parole. So basically, and I end up in prison and would you, about 18 years in, I see, uh, I'm telling all my appellate lawyers, Hey man, I'm innocent. I didn't have nothing to do with this. They're like, well, innocence doesn't matter. We have to find a technicality or anything, any type of constitutional error and <laughs> nothing worked. I went all the way to the, uh, uh, I guess Ninth Circuit Court, but I didn't get in. Uh, I was denied a certificate of appealability, and so about 18 years in prison, uh, I've seen the Loyal Innocent Project. I wrote to the San Diego Innocent Project, and they wrote me back saying basically we only deal with DNA cases. So 
uh, I see Loyola and I wrote him and I said, here, I would like to ask if you can look at my case. And so my wife ended up bringing him on my whole case down there and they were just shocked. They came and see me. They're like, what are you doing in prison? And I said, basically, uh, my lawyer I had had asked no questions, defend, didn't interview anyone. He didn't defend me at all. And I said, well, basically, I couldn't afford a lawyer, and I, I gave you no defense. And they were, well, that's obvious with all the facts in this case that you're innocent, so we're going to take your case from here on out. So as they had my case, they went down and interviewed the, uh, the guy that shot, and he was saying he was going to come forward and tell the truth. But then he's playing cat and mouse and hiding out every time they would come and try to uh, get his statement. So along comes 1437, and they said, hey, you were convicted as aiding and abetting. So uh, I showed him, I said, whoa, I, I, these guys are talking about this new law that may be coming out. They said, you know what, we want you out right now. So would you like to go under the uh, 1437? And I said, yeah, at, at that point I've been in 25 years. So that's how it basically went, happened. And I was granted the 1437 by the same judge who was still on the bench that convicted me. Wow. <laughs> so that was amazing. This happened in 1996, is that right? No, this happened in 1994. Oh, 1994. Yeah, I don't think I was convicted until 1996 because uh, I stayed in the county jail until 96. We had a motion for a new trial, and uh, so I had stayed there fighting that, and that was denied. And where was so, this? In 90s. This was in uh, CCB Court downtown Los Angeles. I see. Uh, yeah. So what was it like being in prison knowing that you ha really had nothing to do with this crime? I was like, at first depressed. I was frustrated. And I tell my lawyers, like, hey, uh, every appellate lawyer that gave me, I'm like, I have nothing to do with this. Look at the case. Read it. Read it well. You can see that this guy is lying. Change his story just to get a deal. Uh, Two of them changed his stories to get deals. And one of them, he had even admitted on the stand, he said, you know what, I can't do this. This guy had nothing to do with it. So the DA just uh, reversed it on him and said, oh, well, I think you're doing it because you're scared of him. So he actually finally, when he told the truth on the stand, I was like, oh, my God, thinking I'm going home. And no, I got convicted still. So it was just awful at first, like, you know, I was angry, mad at the world. I was like depressed. And then I'm in prison and I'm on the yard with real killers, diseases. And, you know, you just got to act accordingly. You have to go with the program, you know? So I was just like stressed, but I never gave up. So, Had you, you know. ever been in trouble before this? In, in, uh, no, I was 18. I was a juvenile. I was arrested one time for uh, riding in a, in a stolen car, the car that was stolen. And I got, um, I got, that's the only thing I had on my record as a juvenile. And then that is at 18. Yeah. And how, <clears throat> how did you come in contact with the Innocence Project? 
uh, uh, basically I seen, uh, I was watching the news one day in prison and I, uh, I thought that uh, San Diego was like the only innocent project that they had. had. And I seen a guy, uh, O.B. Anthony, uh, on the news and it said, oh, he was, his case was overturned by false witness testimony. And I was, and I said, whoa, Loyola Innocent Project. So I got the address from the news and I wrote them. That's how I came in contact with them. And, and you said that once you started meeting with them, they're like, oh my God. Yeah. They were like, what are you, what are you doing in prison? They read my whole, lucky for me, I, all those years, I've saved all my transcripts and I've had them. I had them at my house. And they were like, they I like saved them like so much time that they were like, whoa, we would have take. Sometimes they throw away records, so they would have to find those records. And I had all my transcripts, all my appeals. I had it right there, and they read the whole transcript. And they were just came to visit me in prison. They were like, wow, what are you doing in prison? I said, Sir. like I told you, basically, when I was poor. I couldn't afford it proper attorney my attorney did nothing and uh they were shocked like wow did that they... had been already i had been about 18 years at that point yeah. did they try uh to file a motion to get you out at that point well they were gathering they gathered they were gathering all the evidence and so before 1437 came out the shooter in this case, the one that testified against me and went to his youth authority, that was his deal till he was 25. They were uh, pursuing him and they got in contact with him and he said that he was going to come forward and tell the truth now and he kept playing hide and seek cat and mouse. So that's what the last thing they were going to pursue to get him. Once they got his testimony, then they were going to file the innocent claim in court. But the 1437 came along and they just said, look, we can file this and get you out right now or else we're going to be playing, this guy's going to be playing games and we're going to, we're going to uh, get to the bottom of it, but it might take a few more years. So I said, you know what, just file the 1437. So at I'll that point it. you just wanted to get out? Oh, yeah. I'm sick of prison. Yeah, I don't blame like you. 25 years. Well, same thing, and you know, I just I wanted to get home. I was like, like burned out at that time. Just like too many years. I was just like, yeah, just get me home. That's what they said. Our main focus is just to get you home, and so that's how it happened. Um, so, for people that might not know what fourteen thirty seven is, can you kind of explain it? Okay, basically, the old law stated that if, say, two guys are in a car and uh, one guy jumps out and says he's going to fight some guy and the other guy's still in the car or he even gets out of the car, but the guy ends up killing that person, the guy that was in the car will also be liable and have as much time as the person that actually killed so 1437 and this this law has been changed all across the state i think california was one of the last ones all across the united states um 
saying that felony murder, that I would be uh, liable as guilty as a killer. And it, and your title would be 187 murder as if you killed. That's basically what the old law states. Now, 1437 came along and it states that the person, if there was no uh, intent by the person that did not kill, then he is not guilty. He will be charged with whatever felony that was involved in the case, but he would not be charged as a killer, as a murderer. So, so that's how... Do you think I, I think I explained it? Pretty yeah. Good, 1437. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, um, you know, the basics are if you're not the actual killer and you didn't act with what they call reckless indifference it's to human life, uh, which exactly. is kind of nebulous, but, you know, uh, it at least gives you an out. Now, what were they saying was because for a felony murder to happen, you have to be committing right. a felony. So what was the felony right. that they said you were oh. committing? Oh. Okay, yeah. This guy said that he attempted to rob that man, the victim in the case. Ah, That was his death. So that really gave me, which I really don't think happened, but I think that the DA wanted to elevate the charge because this man was clearly out of his mind on PCP and didn't know what he was doing. And he didn't take anything. I didn't. I don't know what happened right there, but I really doubt it. But I, I believe that the DA wanted it to be as high of a level of murder that he, that he can get because yeah. the man didn't. He didn't take anything, and he. I don't even think he was just like whacked out of his mind. And you know? and how long so, did he get? He got uh, until he was twenty five. In youth authority, he did not even go to prison. Wow! He didn't have. He got his deal was. You're gonna if you say what we want you to say and say that Mr. Turpak knew what you were doing, which is the uh, aiding and abetting to felony murder, then you will get out when you're 25. You'll go to youth authority. If you do not, you are gonna get charged with the full, full felony murder. And even though you're 17, you're gonna get life without parole in prison that's how that happened yeah that's that's similar to the case we were just watching on friday in san francisco um the uh the case actually is from 1974 if you can imagine that um i read that i think i read that yeah yeah so you know basically uh, the guy who actually committed the crime was 16 at the time, and I think, uh, you know, he pled, and I think he was out by the time he was 25. Meanwhile, this guy who had really nothing to do with it other than he, he was involved in, like, the robbery, but he didn't, uh, you know, he didn't shoot the guy. <laughs> and right. so he's been in since 1974. Yeah, I've seen that. And it said that, it, like, the judge is trying to prolong it prevent him from uh getting relief i from what i read yeah i think i i think on friday um he uh the judge is gonna uh rule on it but uh yeah i i mean i thought he could have ruled on it last friday oh yeah um yeah i know so how did the um 1437 process work for you was it contested by the district attorney or did they just grant it mm. Yeah, no. At first, they contested it, and uh, so the judge said, "Well, on what grounds? Tell, show me, 
tell me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make your argument. And then I'm going to give the council their opportunity to present their argument. So when it came time, it came time for them to argue, they said that, uh, uh, they asked the judge, they're like, well, we'd like to know, uh, if you are ruling this constitutional or not. He said, that's not basically what, that's not what this hearing is about. It's for you to tell me why I should not grant him relief. And then, so they said another court date. So then when that came, they said, uh, well, they end up dropping their, uh, um, contest to it. They didn't want to contest it anymore. So they, they, uh, conceded. So. Ah, and first they were contesting it, then they end up conceding because there was no evidence that I had the uh, um, what is it called, the intent or right or reckless anything like that, reckless indifference, and and I don't think they really wanted to go deeper because my case would show that I didn't even have anything to do with it. Right. So they basically conceded in the end. They fought all the way through. They kept like prolonging me. And uh, kept postponing, and the judge is actually like kind of in my favor. He's like, because you know they have like ninety days they can postpone it, and he and he basically told it, yeah. So are you trying to postpone this again? I know this man's been in this man's been in prison for twenty five years. I know you don't intend to uh, postpone it all these ninety days, and they didn't. They just postponed it for like another two weeks. And then he ruled on it. And this and was pretty early, right? This was like March. Oh yeah, yeah. Because in Jan- um, when we filed the the Little Innocent Project uh, filed a motion uh, under the Banks case uh, to overturn my life without, and when that would do was would I would fall under the juvenile? Uh, uh, what is it? Um, juvenile bill to where I could have access to go to parole board. Right. So during, during that hearing, uh, that's was in, I believe October or November. And, uh, he says, uh, he goes, um, we had a hearing and he's, and the judge is basically like, um, I don't even know what this hearing, why, why are we really having all these hearings? Because if you don't know, there's a new law coming out. 1437 and he falls under that law so and i actually went to parole board and they told me the same december they were like why don't you postpone this because it looks like you have a lot of legal stuff going on so why don't you postpone this uh, uh parole eligibility hearing and so i did and then i went back down to court in january and this took all the way till March to uh, finally get a relief. So at this point, are you thinking um, you're going to get out, or are you thinking, no, this is too good to be true, somebody's going to pull the rug out from under me? Yeah. In my mind, even my wife was saying, like, I said, because even when the judge said it out of his own mouth, he, he was prepared to let me go in November before the January. He, he told the DAs, like, uh, you defense and and the and the um DA set a date, and I will uh, and I will have I will um re- release him. And the DA was like, "Whoa, no, that's above my pay grade and this and that." 
So when he said that in the hearing, and then I go to parole board, I'm I'm like, oh, wow. So I'm thinking in my mind, I tell him, I'm like, you know, I don't believe it until this, those doors open. So that, <laughs> so, so I walk out of there. That's how my mind is was set. Like, I'm not gonna believe it, even though he said it. The judge baby said he, he's gonna let me go home. I didn't believe it until the doors opened. And the, the worst thing was about it was I believe on the eleventh, what was it? He he um ruled, and I ended up staying in the LA County Jail for eleven more days after he said that I was released Oof. because of CDC had a hold on me. Right, and they were my lawyers were calling CDC, and they were kind of like playing games, like, oh, you know, well, we have thirty days to, uh, you know, make this happen, and this and that. So it was like those. That's where it really hurt. The Eleven days after the judge said I was released, that they finally released me. Uh, and wow. and how did it feel when when you finally got released? Well, it was like, I don't know. It was like unbelievable. I was crying and stuff. You've seen that pretty sure you've seen the news clip. Yeah. The second I, they let me out of there, I was in a jumpsuit. And then the, my lawyers gave me some clothes to wear. And then I had an interview with the, with the press, I guess, real quick. And it was just, wow, it was amazing. I couldn't believe it. Uh, and and you got married while you were in prison, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. How long ago? Uh, three years. This is going on the fourth year. Four years ago. Yep, four years ago. And did you have other family there? And uh, my mother. Um, yeah, my just basically I had my mother and. That's about it. All that time, I met my wife like eight, nine years ago, while I was in prison, and um, she used to come and visit me. and And I told her what while I was in prison, and she's like, "No way, you didn't kill anybody." I'm like, "No, I didn't have anything to do with it." So I sent her the case, and then she was just like furious, like, "What the heck?" And then um, that's when Loyola, when Loyola popped up she's the one that actually took my case down there. She was trying to hire me an attorney before that. <laughs> and um, so she ended up taking my case down to the Loyola Law School. So she's the one that really got it going. So what are you doing now? Now I'm just working. Um, matter of fact, one of uh, Anand's um, attorneys, um, I met him and, uh, you know, it's basically, he's like, he said, like, I'm kind of a big deal in the 1437 world or whatever. And I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I would, I'm trying to, I would like to get a job. You know, I don't like, to, I don't want to just sit around at home, you know? So he ended up, um, getting me a job. So I'm basically working and enjoying life, you know? Has it been a, a car? Has it been a like tough uh, transition? For me, no. I basically uh, a lot of people are surprised. Like, 
even like some people I'll meet and then I would tell them I was in prison and they were like, wow, yeah, I couldn't even, I couldn't, I would never even, they couldn't tell. <laughs> so that's what a lot of people say. I tell, tell them, people ask me how was my adjustment, I'll say, you have to ask my wife <laughs> because <laughs> I don't know. I feel, I feel great, you know. Um, I'm kind of like, I don't know what kind of career path I want to take. I want to get a better career. So I don't know how to go about stuff like that. How to, I would go to back to school. I got my GED while I was in prison. So I basically would like to get a better job, like better career, make a little more money. So I'm able to travel and do things I never done before. What was like the most shocking thing about being out? (laughs) Uh, I the little funny things that that uh, I was there's so many options like in restaurants and uh, like I'll be stuck looking at the menu and I'll let people go ahead of me and then like in supermarkets the thing like self checkout and stuff like that little things like that were uh, weird to me because um, basically like I was a teenager when I went in and so. And this, all this technology was kind of like overwhelming a little bit, but I got, I got used to it. I adapted pretty good. Yeah. I was reading, uh, Anthony Ray Hinton's book and he spent, I don't know, 38 years on death row in Alabama. And, uh, he got out just a few years ago and uh, he describes this scene like the first thing that he does, his friend takes him to go uh, see his mother's grave because he had never seen his mother's grave and his mother had really mm. stood by him. And so, you know, right. he plugs in the address into his phone and it starts, you know, uh, audibly uh, giving out the directions. And he looks at his friend <laughs> and he goes, yeah. uh, there's a white woman in the car uh, talking. <laughs> <laughs> and his yeah. friend just laughs yeah and then like all the areas I've seen like Hollywood everything looks different now I wouldn't even recognize it just, uh, and uh, I use Google for everything also to, to get to where I'm going I, I use that also I was like I have to use it you know just to get around yeah I don't recognize those areas anymore. Uh, so but, you uh, uh, you knew Anon John Alexander. Well, I I met him basically through uh, um, some his uh, network of uh, his attorneys and stuff like that. And then I started looking. Uh, um, I friended his uh, foundation, and basically that's how I met. Him and I met his uh, sister, um, a lot of his family members, and we've been in contact like that. So that's that's basically how I met him. And what do you know about his case? Well, basically, from what I read, it was like same kind of stuff, like dirty prosecution, using the dirty tactics, and. Um, a lot of like uh it was like racial um hints in this case like I, that's that's what to say it 
um, it seemed like it wasn't fair, you know. So basically, and then I wrote a letter for him also for he's trying to get co- uh, commutation. So right. basically, yeah. So I've been like supporting it in any way that I can. Which uh, prison <clears throat> are you in? I was. I've been in several of them. I was in. Uh, uh, Lancaster, I was in Pelican Bay, I was in Folsom, um, Ironwood, um, where else? Lancaster, did I say that? Um, Calipatria, that's where I seen the newscast of Loyola Law School. Right. Um, where else? Pretty much all <laughs> up and down the state. Yeah. What was uh, Pelican yeah. Bay like? Oh, uh, that was awful. I did uh, five years in, in, in doing five years in the split between Corcoran and Pelican Bay. And it was just like a 23-hour 20, 20, day lockdown. And and I, I was like 21 years old when I ended up there. And um, I was like bouncing off the walls there. I was a kid. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I hated it. It wasn't. It's like it was a sensory deprivation. You get. Yeah. So yeah, it's not a nice place. So um, we're just about out of time here. Uh, Any kind of closing thoughts on your experience or messages that you want to leave with the readers? And I just say basically, you know, never give up hope. Always, I never gave up. Always kept fighting. You know, you just gotta, you know, keep your keep stay focused. And um, I feel blessed that I was able to make it out of there. And um, basically, that's about it that I can think of right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show and sharing your amazing experience, really. Uh, I mean, uh, it's an amazing thing to go from 25 uh, or 25 years uh, of a life without parole sentence and then be able to walk out. Right. Yeah. So people think that it's not possible and it's possible and I made it, you know. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwell. We've been talking with Michael Turpak. He became the third person last year to be released from prison under SB 1437. And I think his case illustrates just how powerful a uh, legislative remedy this is. This is a guy who didn't do anything. He wasn't involved in the crime. Uh, in the first place. He was factually innocent, Um, but he couldn't prove it. It was going to be a long process, and the great part about it is he was able to get out under the new law, which changed the definition of murder. So this has been Everyday Injustice. Join us again next time for more tales from our justice system.
Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com. <laughs>